This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Pick up in verse 36. That may still be a little hot. Sounds like it up here anyway. Um, can't tell what everybody's hearing out there. But. Okay, I'm going to start uh, reading in verse 36. And uh, we'll read down to verse 46. <clears throat> then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing... But the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come again, uh, Lord, thanking You. Thank You for Your Word. We're able to have uh, copies of right here before us that we can look at, study. Lord, we thank You for the truth that You're communicating, that You're opening up to us. And we do pray tonight as we consider this passage as well, Lord, that You open our understanding. Enable us to take from this what You would teach us and use it to sanctify us. Lord, that we may be more and more and more like Jesus. We ask for Your help now in these things. Confess our total dependence upon You. And pray, Lord, that You do it for Your honor and glory. In Christ's name, Amen. 
Have you ever um, have you ever wanted something uh, really bad? Really, really bad. <laughs> and you pray, and you feel like uh, the answer, well, sometimes you feel like there's no answer, or that the answer is no. You can't have that. Or you pray like the Apostle Paul for something that you do have to be taken away. It was something that you don't enjoy. Paul said he was given a thorn in the flesh. That buffeted him, troubled him. And he prayed three times that the Lord would take it away. And God's answer was, My grace is sufficient for thee. So have you ever you ever prayed? You ever wanted something really, really bad? And find that the answer is no. That's certainly possible. That certainly happens. And sometimes there's the feeling that, you know, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and there's just no answer. One word of encouragement there. I, I, I really, the answer might be no. In other words, we, what, we, what we ask for may, <clears throat> may be the wrong thing, so we're, 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 uh, we're turned down. But there's never a non-answer. For God's people, for God to hear the, the Scripture talks repeatedly about God hearing the prayers of His people, and for Him to hear is to answer. I mean, they're they're really one and the same. So that's something as a believer you can have assurance of. That is, you're you're not moving through life um, with with God being unaware of what's going on. It's not as though He's taken His attention off of you, off of you, or it's not as though He's just said, "Well, you know what." Um, I'm, I'm just I'm just not going to help you here anymore. I'm just going to stand back and watch and see what you do. He always hears our prayers, which means he always answers our prayers. As a matter of fact, I think for the believer, um, well, I know this from Romans eight. He 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 takes our feeble prayers, which which in reality are never are never right anyway, and he interprets them according to his will. So we pray one thing and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. That's an awesome truth. And so our, our prayers never, never go unheard. Something to remember because, again, it is not unusual to feel as though they do. We come now to um, the night of Jesus' arrest. Um, again, this is following the his, uh, his observance of the Passover with the disciples. <clears throat> and now they come to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Jesus uh, is bearing upon Himself the weight of all that's about to happen. The disciples seem a little more nonchalant. And so he's, He wants to pray. So verse 36, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here. While I go over there and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Now, this, this is the inner circle of the twelve that we've, we've mentioned before. Sometimes when you see the word disciples, it's talking about, um, it's just very general. It's talking about everybody that followed Jesus. And there were many that followed Jesus, not just twelve. 
many, sometimes thousands. And then that number dwindled down to we don't know what um, in the final days, but more than 12. So sometimes the reference to the disciples is, is just meaning all the followers of Jesus. And then within that group of followers, you, you, have, you have the twelve, the inner, the inner circle. They, they were pretty much with Jesus everywhere that He went, and He was constantly working with them one-on-one, so to speak. I mean, on a very personal, intimate level. And they were the twelve, the apostles. But then within that group, you have the three that are mentioned here. An inner circle in the inner circle. Peter and the two sons of Zebedee being James and John, the sons of thunder. thunder. <laughs> so you here, um, as in other places, you find Jesus alone with Peter, James, and John. And incidentally, even among Peter, James, and John, one stands out in particular, and that is Peter. And he, he will emerge as the leader, not the first pope, but... A leader, nonetheless. In fact, in the first, uh, roughly the first half of the book of Acts, uh, it, it is pretty much an account of what Peter is is doing, his what God is doing through Peter, his ministry. And then, of course, from there, it, it focuses on the Apostle Paul. Um, but uh, Peter emerges as a as a leader, even among this small inner group. So here, here is a, a very, again, a very intimate scene. Jesus is going to pray. And first, he says to uh, presumably the twelve here, sit here while I go over there and pray. But then he takes with him Peter and James and John. A little further, but then he goes even a little further beyond them. And verse 38 says, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even unto death. And I, I, I skipped over the last part of 37. I didn't mean to do, but it already begins to explain that there. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. The language is strong here. He's, he's agonizing. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, verse 38, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. That is, he's... he's Asking of them, requesting of them to, to be alert. Be alert. Watch with me. And that's, I, I think, um, that's a good characteristic when, when we're in prayer. <laughs> to, be, to be alert, spiritually alert. Uh, if we could see, um, if, if we could somehow look into the spiritual realm and see the warfare taking place... Um, I mean, if God were just to open our eyes in a supernatural way, we, we can look into it through the Scripture, but if God were just to open our eyes supernaturally so that we could see the things that are going on, um, I think that would probably drive us to an alertness that, generally speaking, we, we seem to lack. Well, <clears throat> that's, there, there's no excuse for that. I'm not, I don't want to excuse it, but at the same time, it's, we're not alone in this, and we're going to see, even though Jesus specifically requests that they be alert, watch and pray with Him, they fail in this. They're not, they're not feeling the weight that Jesus is feeling here. 
They're not sensing the, the, the really the cosmic battle that, that is taking place now. I mean, this, this is coming to a head. Jesus has said repeatedly, my time is not yet. My time is not yet. And now we're at the point where he says, my time is now. My hour is at hand. This is it. The Son of Man is to be taken, crucified, and die, and rise again. So he's, he's very sorrowful. He began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he said, and again, listen, notice the language. I mean, this, this, imagine being there and hearing him speak this to, to his disciples. My soul is very sorrowful. Even to death. I'm going to be real honest with you. When I, when I read the Scripture, don't misunderstand this. I, 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 don't, by, I don't by any means see Jesus as depressed. Okay, Don't, don't misunderstand me here. At the same time, I, I don't see Him as just bubbly. That's not what I see when I read the Gospels. There, there's this one sense in which, all the way through His life and ministry, it seems to me... Um, he he is existing in this sorrow because of the shape that the world is in, because of the effects of sin on God's creation and upon the people whom God has created. And I think this is, this is why Isaiah referred to him as a man of sorrows. That's not that he didn't have joy. Of course he had joy. He had fullness of joy. But at the same time, uh, I, I don't picture him in the flesh walking around with some kind of bubbly personality because he is constantly looking at the effects of death. And you see that emerge from time to time in, in a more intense fashion. So, for example, when he comes to the, to the wake of Lazarus, we find him weeping. Jesus wept, the Scripture says. And people puzzle over that, you know, but I don't think it's a, it's a, I don't think there's any real mystery there. I don't think he's weeping for Lazarus. He knows what he came to do. He knew what he was going to do from the start. He told the disciples, this sickness is not unto death. But he's going there to raise Lazarus from the dead. I don't think he's, he's weeping as though he has just lost a dear friend. I think he's weeping because of all the other weeping that's going on. In other words, there's so much sorrow there over the death of, of Lazarus, which again is, is a manifestation of the effects of sin in this world. We have death because we have sin. And when Jesus comes on the scene in John 11, Lazarus wake, there, there is a crowd of people mourning. And Jesus has moved very deeply. I don't know what all he was thinking. Perhaps, that's again, that's part of it. He's saying, you know, here's an effect of sin. The, the death of someone that these people loved and their suffering due to it. Perhaps he's looking around and thinking, you know, in just a few moments I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And one day he's going to be with me in glory. But many of these people are going to perish eternally. Whatever he was thinking at the moment, he was, he was moved very deeply with sorrow. 
Now, he didn't bounce on the scene saying, everybody cheer up, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He wept. And here again, it emerges. And of course here, because now he's, he's facing the final hour. He's about, about to fulfill the task that he came to fulfill. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed. Now he's in the garden on his face before the Father and he prays, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, again, one reason I emphasize the the language just preceding that is because I want us to understand there's great passion in this prayer. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. He's he's agonizing here and he, He expresses to the disciples, My soul is very sorrowful even unto death. And He falls, He goes a little farther and falls on His face and prays. It's a picture of somebody here crying out to God from the depths of their heart. Father, if it it be possible. He's agonizing because He knows what everybody else is oblivious of, even though he's, He's made it known several times. But He knows what He's about to face. Now, there, there is a, a, a real sense in which the suffering starts here. We, we, we tend to think of it as, you know, it started with the first blows from the Roman soldiers when they began to strike Him and rip His flesh from His body. But again, I, I would suggest that the real agony starts here. And, I, and as I said earlier, you can probably even take it back. To, in some sense, he's been, he's been agonizing to some degree throughout his whole ministry. And certainly now, it's coming to, a, coming to a climax. And now he's beginning to feel the weight of everything that he's facing. And it's crushing And he prays with passion. This is a great desire. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, that's, uh, that's the word cup there. That's a metaphor. And here's, here's why he's agonizing. This, this is not... When he says, let this cup pass from me, the cup, you know, it's, it's, again, it's a metaphor. You've got a picture of somebody drinking uh, something that was given to them to drink, metaphorically. But it's, it's not just referring to the, to the physical death that he's facing. It's not, uh, I mean, who would want to go through being beaten with a cat of nine tails, right? Who would want to be nailed to a cross? And I'm not... Uh, taking anything away from that suffering, making light of that at all. But I'm saying this, it's not limited to that. It includes that, but it's not limited to that because the cup here is not limited to that. In fact, this is a common metaphor throughout the Old Testament used to describe the outpouring of God's wrath. 
What Jesus knows He's facing is not just hostile Jewish religious leaders and Roman soldiers and governors. He's facing the wrath of God, His Father. And He knows that. This is the cup. This is the cup that He's, that he's to drink of. Now, here's the... And we're going to see this play out as, as we continue on and talk about the cross, His suffering, and then what He... Uh, uh, his physical suffering and the suffering that He experiences um, on the cross, even beyond the physical. But again, here, here, here are the first punches. Here are the first throws of it. it. It's beginning to come in on Him now, crushing. He, he's come for one purpose, and that's to die for His people. But what that means is, not just to die physically, but again, to bear the wrath of the Father. It is, it is to face, and I know this, I probably can't say this strong enough because this just kind of sounds light, but it's not light. It is to face the displeasure of His Father. Now, most kids don't like to face the displeasure of their Father, so, so we get a little bit of Tiny, tiny, tiny bit of a taste of that. But this goes, this goes far beyond that. For one reason, often when we face the wrath of our Father, our earthly Father, it was because we deserved it. <laughs> Is that right? You, sometimes you can ask people, I mean, once they've grown up and they've matured and they've They've got a, a different understanding because you know, usually it's because they've got kids of their own now. And they've got a different understanding now. And you can ask them things like, did you ever get a whipping, spanking that you didn't deserve? And a lot of times they'll tell you, mm, no. In fact, I probably should have got more. Because <laughs> most of the time, I mean, unless you had some kind of abusive situation, most of the time when you face the displeasure of your father or either one of your parents, um, you deserved it. And it wasn't all that unique of an experience anyway, was it? I mean, I mean, who can remember the first time they faced the wrath of their parents? I, maybe you can. I, I can't. I mean, some, you know, it just it happened back there somewhere, and then it, you know, it kept happening. It became a, kind of a common experience. And so, yeah. <laughs> It's not that it was pleasurable, but it wasn't, it wasn't unique. Now, on the other hand, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, has existed through all eternity in perfect harmony, perfect union, perfect loving relationship with perfect display and flow, expression of love throughout all eternity. There's never been a moment where the Father had to say, I, 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 don't do that. There's never been a moment where the Father had to express anger because of something Jesus did. Not in all eternity. Past. 
John says of the eternal Lagos, which is Jesus, He was with God and He was God. There was, there was perfect union there. And He was in the beginning with God. He always was. And He always was with God. And He was God. And when Jesus in John 17 talks of being restored to the glory that He knew with the Father before the foundation of the world, He's again thinking of that perfect, glorious union. Fellowship. Fellowship is a good word, by the way. Sometimes I hesitate to use it because... Because of the way we use it, we tend to take it lightly. I mean, we all do that, you know. So you say fellowship, and you think of a of, a, of an ice cream social or an eating meal. The, the the word is 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 much more is much stronger than that. It's a participation, a partaking, and Jesus was in perfect fellowship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit from all eternity past. There's never been one argument. There's never been one disagreement. And so in all of eternity, all that He has experienced is the fullness of the pleasure of the Father. Now, if, if your father, just think about again about your earthly father, a lot of times children have a great desire to please their fathers, or, or again, just their parents in general. And if, if your parents or your father has ever been really, really pleased with you, And that just, I mean, that just makes you feel good. Well, again, this is infinitely beyond that. All Jesus has ever known is the fullness of the pleasure of His Father, who is not an earthly father. He is the one true, only, living God, holy Father, as Jesus calls Him. And they've existed in perfect unity, perfect harmony. Now, I'm saying all that to say this. The cup that Jesus is to drink of includes the displeasure of His Father. We had a discussion in, in our uh, Thursday morning Bible study about a week or so ago about... Um, the idea of God, uh, we, we were reading from uh, Psalm 22, uh, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so that's what we were discussing. And we were talking about the idea of, of, uh, of God turning His back on the Son. Because we, we, people, we say that all the time. And, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, in, in songs that we sing. And, and of course, you know, since we were, we were, Trying to analyze these things in a pretty, pretty strict sense. I mean, we're, we're just discussing that how the word, how the Bible expresses these things. One of one of the one of the brothers said, um, "Well, <clears throat> where does it say that that God turned His face or turned His back on Jesus or turned His face from Jesus on the cross? Where does it say that?" <laughs> and, and I said, "Well, uh, and, you know," and he was he knew it didn't say that. And, and uh, I, I said, well, it doesn't say that. Um, actually, it says, in fact, in Isaiah 53, that He will see Him and be satisfied. 
He's not got his back turned him, turned on him. He's not got his face turned on him. He's fully engaged in what's going on because he is pouring out the fullness of his wrath on him at that point. But the reason you see that in, I think, in, in songs, and you hear people express it that way um, to, to describe this experience: "My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken me?" Because a common way in Scripture of talking about God's favor is that He would turn His face toward you. Look upon us, O God. That kind of thing. So, so it's a fitting metaphor. It's only, again, it's only a, an analogy or a metaphor, but it's fitting because to have God's face shine upon us is to have His favor. And so, again, metaphorically, to have, to have His displeasure would be as though He turned His face from us or turned His back. So there, there's not, uh, there's not a, a, God is one and there's not a separation. Jesus as he hangs on the cross, we'll see it when we get there, but he, he quotes Psalm uh, 22, 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And it's, it's not because there's a separation. Like the Father left. And that's why I'm emphasizing this. Because it, it's not as though God walked away from him. What he means, why, why have you forsaken me? It's that he has always only experienced His favor. And now, He's experiencing His wrath. His displeasure. That's almost like giving the end of the movie, uh, isn't it, while you're watching? I mean, because we're, we're we haven't got there yet and we're talking about it. But I, th- I, think it's, I think it's helpful to understand what's going on here. Because even though the disciples don't understand that all that's about to take place, the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, and and uh, and all of their all of their company, they don't understand that all that's about to take place. In fact, their decision at first was, let's wait till after the after the feast is over, you know, so we don't stir up the people, and then we'll go get him. Uh, well, but that wasn't God's plan because he because he needed to die um, during Passover. The Roman soldiers don't understand that all that's about to take place. And even when all that does take place, they won't fully understand it. They, they will understand that He's in physical pain and that He's agonizing physically, but they won't understand the fullness of what's taking place on the cross. One Roman soldier stands at the foot of the cross and says, truly, this is a Son of God. So he, he knows when the world goes dark that there's something about this man that's unusual. But Jesus knows. He knows what He's facing. He's facing the Father's displeasure. He's he's facing the fullness of the outpouring of the wrath of God whom He has been in perfect harmony, perfect love relationship with through all Eternity. 
And so he cries out, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. It it is a sad testimony. And, And I guess, you know, I wish I could just point my fingers at Peter and James and John and say, this is pitiful. It's a sad testimony. Poor excuses of Poor excuses for human beings here. Poor excuses for men. But the truth is, and I I really believe this, it's it's kind of like we we can say the same thing about Adam and Eve. The truth is, if we'd have been there in their shoes, we'd have done the same thing. He came and He found them sleeping and He said in verse 40, So... Could you not watch with me one hour? Now think about, think about the hours and hours. What He's going to endure for the next 18 hours or so. And you can't pray with me for one hour. Watch Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. What a, what a great admonition that is. And I, I think still applicable for us. Be alert. Peter said, you need to know Satan is like a, a, a lion roaming, seeking whom he may devour. He's not resting. In fact, there's one thing Satan doesn't know. It's rest. He's not resting. And he's always on the prowl, seeking whom he may devour. And so Jesus says, be alert, watch and pray. The, the enemy is strong and he's on the move and you're weak. So you need to, you need to at least be awake. Wake up and pray. Understand, understand your weakness and cry out to God. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You understand, if God doesn't keep us from temptation, that's exactly where we're going. Every time. In fact, in the model prayer, Jesus said specifically, Pray, Father, lead us not into temptation. But because it is our nature, we, we will go there. And it's almost like it doesn't, it doesn't have to find us. We'll find it. So, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That is, be alert. And hear what He says. The Spirit is indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. He's saying, look, I know, I know your desires and your desires are good. The Spirit is willing. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. He's talking about the Spirit of man. The Spirit is willing. Look at verse 35. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Go back a little further. In verse 33, Peter says, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. If I must die with you, I will never be offended at you. And Jesus says here, I know that the Spirit is indeed willing, 
The problem is the flesh is weak. Your desires are good. You want the right thing. But you're weak in the flesh. And if you don't stay alert and pray and ask God to keep you from temptation, then a bad result is inevitable. And they don't. They don't do what He says. And Again, verse 42, for the second time, He went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, <coughs> Your will be done. And again, you see the, the passion here, uh, partly from Jesus' own teaching, when He talks about uh, importunate prayer, persistence in prayer, that we, that we ask and ask and ask and knock and knock and knock, seek, seek, seek. And that's what He's doing here. He's coming back and He's praying, Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. And again, verse 43, He came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. <laughs> how, often, how often do you think, sometimes we kind of we use this to motivate ourselves. Um, and it's a good motivation. I'm not knocking it, but... Uh, uh, in fact, Brother Ron did this with the, with the, the youth not long ago. He said, you know, think about some of the things that you do, like maybe the movies that you go see, or and it's, this is good for all of us, by the way, not just the youth. But so the movies that you go see, the television shows that you sit down and watch, or whatever it is that you do, uh, the things that you say and do when you're around your friends, and just imagine that Jesus were there in the flesh right beside you. Would you still say the same things? Would you still do the same thing? Would you still go see the same movie? Would you, would you say, um, Jesus, um, you wait here in the car and I'll be back in a little while. And the implication is, and I think it's a great lesson. I like to say I'm not knocking it. It's a great thing to think about because He is with us. And I mean, if we're truly saved, He's with us. And if we, if we try to assume that we're out of His sight for any minute, we're, we're fooling ourselves. But the implication there is that if He were with us in the flesh, we would act better. Isn't it something that... I mean, He's right, he's right here with them and he's, and he's right there telling them what to do and they don't have the strength to do it. They can't pull it off. And so in verse 44... So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Father, if it be possible, that's the same word. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. I mean, he's exhorted them, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. It seems to me that what he's saying here is it's, it's determined, it's decided, it's, 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 it's too late. In other words, their, their opportunity is gone now. Their opportunity to stand with him to do the right thing is gone now. And it has fallen just like he said it would. This night, all of you, will fall away. Because it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. 
The hour is at hand, Jesus says. I mean, this is it. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I think that's a literal, by the way. You know, probably from the... You think about the, the number of soldiers coming to arrest Jesus. Um, <clears throat> here he is in the garden, just finishing praying, and he can he can probably hear. He can probably hear the stomping of the horses. See the illumination from the torches. He can hear the talking, the commotion. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, I want to leave us with this. Jesus' desire. I mean, He he prayed with passion here. In fact, I believe this is a reference to this passage, uh, in, in uh, to this event, rather, in Hebrews chapter 5. And the writer of Hebrews describes it this way. In the days of His flesh, this is Hebrews 5-7, in the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. He, he prays with loud cries and tears. According to the writer of Hebrews, He's praying with passion. He's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. It's probably, it's probably not, a, not a stretch to say no man has ever agonized like that in prayer before or since. Here's the question. Did he get what he asked for? Did he get what he asked for? Was his prayer answered? Yes. Yes. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, and I'm reading verse 7 again, Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard. He was heard because of His reverence. You say, wait a minute. Now I know that's not referring to the event that we just... We just read, because he prayed to the one who was able to save him from death, and he still had to face death. He wasn't heard. But church, as badly as Jesus wanted to avoid the cup that he was appointed to drink, He had a greater desire. (laughs) I mean, you see, you see all of the passion, all of the passion in that desire to avoid that cup. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. So I feel like I'm going to die. 
I mean, there's, there is turmoil within because of what he's facing in a few short hours. And he falls on his face and cries to the Father, Let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. We, we see the passion in that desire. But there's a desire in the person of Jesus. There's in the mind of Jesus, in the heart of Jesus. There's a desire that trumps that one. As bad as he wants to avoid drinking that cup, he's got a desire greater. What is it? To do the Father's will. That leads me to believe that all of the passion we're seeing be thrown into this prayer. Yes, it is because He would like to avoid the cup, but it's not only that. It is also because above all, even above that, He desires to do the Father's will. And if He but endures, (laughs) it almost makes it sound like a small thing, and it's not a small thing. But if He but endures the displeasure of God for this period, He again enjoys His pleasure for all of eternity that lies ahead. For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. His prayer was answered. It was Heard, as the writer of Hebrews says. That is, it was answered in the affirmative. The Father saying, Son, I will grant your request. Not not your request to avoid the cup. But the greater desire. The second request. Father, not my will. Yours be done. And I think that has to be the greater desire within us as well. As much as we think about how things should be in our mind, how we would like for things to be, as much as we think about how things could be better if only, you know, if only this were not the case, or if only this were the case. And, and sometimes, sometimes those are good desires, but there has to be a greater desire. Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And I think that's in the heart of the genuine believer. I think that's part of the new birth. God puts it there. And brothers and sisters, (laughs) the answer is yes. Son, daughter, yes, you may have it. You may have my will. Let's pray.
Father, we are so thankful for, Lord, Your Word. We're so thankful for what You've recorded here for us, the, the, the event that we were just reading about. We're so thankful that You would love us in this manner, that You would send Your only begotten Son to endure such suffering for us. Lord, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ who, as the Good Shepherd, He wasn't wasn't martyred. Nobody took His life. He laid it down. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He knew. He knew all of this was coming and He endured it willingly for the joy of bringing many sons to glory. For the joy of again being restored to glory and honor with the Father. Lord, we're just just thankful for what You've done for us in this great salvation that You've provided. And as we close tonight, Father, I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody in this room who sits here tonight alienated from You, still in their sins, separate, separated from fellowship with You. Lord, we pray that You open their heart. Bring bring the, the, the truth of Your Word and all of these things we've been talking about, bring it home to their heart tonight. That they may cry out to You for salvation. Deliverance from sin. And that they too may enter in to this fellowship with You. Don't let them rest till they do, Father, we pray. Again, we thank You and we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.